what is being done in this community through this ministry called Back to Back? What's being done there is they're building a community center. And this community center is, somebody called it an oasis. And it really is because right in the middle of this whole community where, again, electricity and running water is really kind of scarce, here is this community center that's being built and they're, they're doing tutoring there, they're doing Bible classes, and then probably the, the thing the kids love the most, they have built a soccer field with like artificial turf right in the middle of all this place where there's no grass anywhere, so it's really cool. We saw a lot of kids. They saw, um, there was a construction team and a medical team that went, and I always feel a little conflicted when I go because the construction team is full of, like, electricians and carpenters, people with all kinds of mechanical skills. I can barely change a light bulb, so I don't fit in with those guys. They ask me to not help them because then they've got to fix whatever I helped so then I don't work with them. And then there's the medical team. My wife's a doctor. She's with them. This year, there was, Lisa was there. There was an oncologist who came. There were two nurse practitioners. We had a pharmacist this year. They had three or four nurses. And let's just say there were never medical schools knocking on my door to come there. So it's kind of a service to humanity that I don't do medicine. So th- I, I never know where to fit. So here, there, I spent one day at least helping out with the medical team and helping out with the pharmacy team. And what the pharmacist said, all you need to do is take 30 pills out of this jar, put it into a plastic bag, and then she said, here's what you write in Spanish. And I thought, I can do that. And the cool part was that the pharmacy was right next to Lisa's table. And it is, if you're married, it is really cool to be able to watch your spouse do the thing God made them to do. So I got to be there and sit next to Lisa, and she was like Dr. MacGyver because she doesn't have a lot of the instruments that she has here, so she had to figure out what to do. But there was one patient the second day who I will never forget. It, it, was, it was so good. It was a man. We didn't, we didn't see many men, but it was a man. He was probably about 60 years old, and he came in. He went through, like, the nurse station, got all the vitals, and then he was supposed to wait until there was... a a doctor to see, and Lisa was the doctor who was up next. So he came over to Lisa. He walks over, and before he sits down, he just starts talking a mile a minute. It's all in Spanish. Lisa knows a little bit of Spanish. I'm lost kind of after hola, so it's, you know, it's really not much there. And he just keeps talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. And it's me, it's Lisa, it's our translator, a good friend of ours named Matt. And we're looking at Matt, what's he saying? But the guy's not taking a breath. I mean, he's just going on and on and on. And this goes on for about a minute. And we're, you know, we're looking at Matt. What, what is he saying? Can you tell us what he's saying? And Matt looks a little, a little blushed, a little embarrassed. And the guy just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. And finally, Matt leans over and Matt says, Lisa, ever since he's walked up, he can't stop saying how beautiful you are. Well, well that's, that's nice, you know. And then he, he kept going. He kept going and he didn't stop. So then I'm kind of like, you know, um, maybe this right here, I'm kind of pointing at her, doesn't care, kind of goes on. And I'm thinking, you know, I didn't come to Mexico to start an international incident, but, man, it's on, you know. I mean, I'll do that. I mean, you know, I can let everybody else figure that out. But I'm, we're just kind of waiting and waiting and waiting, and he's going on. He's not stopped. The translator can't even interrupt. And this has been about two minutes now. And finally, Lisa looks down at his sheet. This is so good. She looks down at his sheet, which lists his vitals and his chief complaint. And she reads his chief complaint, and she smiles starts to laugh a little bit, moves it over to me, and she points to that. I look at it. I start laughing. Matt's looking at us, a translator, and we slide it to Matt, and Matt starts to laugh. The guy's still talking. And the chief complaint that this guy came to see the doctor about today 
was that he's afraid he's going blind. So, <laughs> now she's beautiful, but it was, <laughs> it was just incredible that for two or three minutes, he could not stop talking about something he could not see. It was, it was just incredible. But, but we did. We saw a whole lot of really just incredible things there. People who, they waited in lines for hours to see a doctor with problems that you or I, we'd, we'd go to Walgreens, we'd find some over-the-counter stuff, we'd be fine in a day. Maybe we'd see a doctor and be fine in a few days. One, one lady had an earache for 10 months. The earache had been there, and it kind of started to pain in her jaw and in her head. And Lisa, MacGyver, her and the nurse, they put something together, and she was able to fix her ear, give her some medicine, and 10 months of pain was gone just like that. And these people were so, their, their spirits, they were so gracious, they were so humble. One lady, I, I don't know what her issue was, but, she was, but that was addressed. She met with the doctor, and she was just walking all around. She wouldn't leave the place. She could not stop thanking people for coming. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. And, I mean, I couldn't hear much, but I kept hearing gracias over and over and over again. I think, okay, I think I know what that means. And she wouldn't stop, and tears are kind of rolling down her cheeks. And she was absolutely convinced that Jesus had sent her there. And then she prayed for us, and she's crying. And I was listening to all that, and, and, and the one thing she said, that idea that Jesus had sent us there, really kind of stayed with me. And it reminded me of a time in Jesus' life. It was towards the end of his ministry. In fact, it was in the last week of his ministry. And he had had 12 apostles, and at this time they were down to 11, and they're in the upper room, and, and in this moment, he kind of gathers his guys together, and kind of like a coach would on the sideline in a huddle, and he gets them together, and he says, basically, guys, I know I've said a lot of things, some incredible teaching, you know, that, that's happened, you've seen me do amazing miracles, but of all the things I've said, of all the things I've done, there's one thing you've got to make sure you never forget, there's one thing that will absolutely change your life from here on out. And here's what Jesus said. We're in John 13, verse 34 to 35. The night before Jesus went to the cross, he gets his closest friends together, and here's what he tells them. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if... You love one another. If, not, not if you go to a gathering every week, not if you put something in the offering every week, not if you go to a living community every week, not if you have an ichthus on the back of your car, not if you wear a gold cross jewelry, but here's the one thing. Everyone will know you're a follower of mine if you love one another. And that sounds good, right? I mean, who is against that? Go out and love people. But here's the tension I feel and, and I just bet it's the same kind of tension that you feel. As I thought about our trip to Mexico in the five days that we spent there, and I thought about this verse, maybe it's just me, but maybe you connect with this. I thought, you know, it's a whole lot easier to love people who are a few thousand miles away, who I only see for a few days, and many of them I will never see again. Because that's really kind of like superhero kind of love isn't it? I mean, think about it. You kind of, we, I did this. I flew in, literally. I flew into this area, kind of swooped down. I couldn't help them, but I brought a lot of people who could help, all kinds of aid, did all that. 
And, and the thinking in my mind, I can think, you know, I'll bring all this in. Your life, this will help you, and you'll love me. You'll, you, you'll probably think really good things about me. But just when my heart might start to get involved, just when it might get a little messy, just when it might get a little difficult, I can fly right back out. And I can go home, and I can think, you know, I did a really good thing. And yes, Jesus, thank you for sending me. They're, they're, they're better off because we were there. Now, now, don't misunderstand. A mission trip is a fantastic thing. A lot of good was done. But I think it's a whole lot more difficult to look at that verse and think, how do I do that with the people I see every day? How do I do that with the people who live under my roof or the people who work in the cubicle next to me or the people at school? How do I, how do, I do that on a day-to-day basis? In fact, I think some of the Five most challenging words in all of Scripture are in that verse. Look at it again. Those, those words that say, as I have loved you. Jesus said, as I have loved you, I've given you an example. And then when you start to read through the Gospels, and you say, okay, start to read through the Gospels. Maybe as we get into Easter, you'll flip through one of the Gospels. If you don't know where to start, Mark's the shortest if you, if you want to do that. But you'll read through the Gospels and say, okay, how did Jesus love If I'm supposed to love as he loved, how did he do it? And here's what you quickly realize. It wasn't black and white. It wasn't easy. It wasn't predictable. In fact, the same kind of messed up people that you deal with on a daily basis, Jesus dealt with the same kind of messed up people. When when you open up the Gospels looking for the answer to the question, how did Jesus love, here's what you discover. You discover that when Jesus loved, it was messy. It oftentimes seemed, at least, inconsistent. And it was certainly confusing. And, and there's a tension that we feel there. Because sometimes, if you look through the gospel, sometimes you see where Jesus is forgiving. But at other times, he seems to hold people accountable. Sometimes he seems really just incredibly harsh while at other times he seems amazingly kind. At some times it seems like he gets out a spotlight and shines it on the person's sin. And at some times he seems to just completely ignore sin altogether. And I think there's this tension that we feel between the command to love and the application to love. I mean, you've maybe thought this way before. How, how do you love someone whose lifestyle you don't agree with? How do you love them without feeling like you're condoning that lifestyle? How do you do that? How how do you love someone who is just making all kinds of bad choices without feeling like you're just enabling them? How do you love in that situation? How do you love someone who is just running headlong into sin, doesn't even seem to care? How do you love them? Maybe, Maybe the most difficult for me, especially during March Madness, is, I mean, how do you love a Louisville Cardinal fan? Right? Yeah, exactly. Amen. I mean, how, how do you do that? Right? I mean, but, you know, stupid, stupid joke aside, seriously, there's, there, there's just this, this tension when it comes to showing love and grace to people because, let's be honest, it can be messy. It can be confusing. It can seem oftentimes inconsistent. And I think our natural inclination in those kind of situations is to think, okay, I need to do something to alleviate or remove this tension. I've got to do something to fix that. I can't move forward with this tension here. But listen, Jesus never did that. 
and it drove people crazy. It, I mean, Jesus seemed absolutely comfortable or at ease with being misunderstood or misrepresented or ridiculed if it meant he could show love and minister to people. He just did. Now, John, who was a follower of Jesus, who wrote the Gospel of John, and he wrote four other books in the New Testament, John got to be an old man. And many of the other apostles who followed Jesus, many of them, the word is that Matthew died very young. They think he was burned at the stake. People think Paul, the Apostle Paul, was beheaded. Many think Peter was crucified. But John lived to be an old man. And it was about 40 to 45 years after the life of Jesus. And it became evident that when Jesus left, Jesus had said, I'm going away, but I'll come back. And when he said that, people thought, okay, is that like next Thursday? Next Friday? You know, when are you coming back? And it had been 40 or 45 years, and people thought, maybe he's on a different time schedule. Maybe it's going to be a while. And a lot of John's friends said, John, you have taught us some incredible things about the time you spent with Jesus, but your beard's getting old or gray. Your hair's getting gray. Maybe you should start to write this stuff down. So John began to write his experience of a life of Jesus. And we have it. We have it's called the Gospel of John. And if you grew up in the church, you're familiar with the Gospel of John. And John wrote down with all these memories, all these experiences that he had following Jesus. He had seen amazing miracles. He had heard just incredible teachings, teachings that really had just kind of wrecked his world, had changed the trajectory of where he was going in life, all because of what Jesus had said and done. John sat down to write his version of the life of Jesus, and he began with a preamble, if you will. If you're familiar with the first chapter of John, it it reads with just this incredibly beautiful poetic language where John says, okay, he says, think of Jesus this way. He painted Jesus as a word. And he said, God sent this word, Jesus, into the world, and the word became flesh, and he lived among us, and he was as human as any of us are. And then John said it's like this. John says, it's as if Jesus painted this picture And he painted all of us in it. And then he painted himself in the picture. And then he came into the picture. The word came into the picture. And the very people that he had created, they didn't recognize him. And they threw him out. How beautifully poetic and powerful is that? Here's how John wrote it. If If you're still open in the book of John, go back to verse 14. And I want us to pay close attention to the words that John used to capture this tension that all of us feel as we try to love the way Jesus loved. Look at it with me. John 1, verse 14, reads this way. It says, the word, there's that picture there, the word became flesh and made his dwelling. That word dwelling literally means he camped out or he pitched a tent, he tabernacled, he became one of us. Made his dwelling among us. And then he said, we have seen, and that's key because you didn't see it, I didn't see it, but John John said, we've seen it. I saw it. Matthew saw it. Andrew and Peter and James, we all saw it. This is not some old wives' tale that's been passed down over generation to generation, but we were there. He said, we saw this. Then he goes on, and he said, we were witnesses. We saw this. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. And here are the words I want us to focus on. 
full of grace and truth. Look at it again. Full to the brim. Absolutely full of grace and absolutely full of truth. And in those few words, full of grace and full of truth, is the tension I think all of us experience as we try to follow Jesus. Because you, you know what grace is. You know what truth is. Truth says this. Truth says you're accountable. Grace says you're forgiven. Grace says, ah, oh, you're fine. Truth says, no, 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 you're broken. Grace says, it's going to be okay. Truth says, no, no, you, you've got a whole lot of work to do. And, and there's just this tension between the two. And all of us, I think, because of our personalities, we lean to one side or the other. I mean, some of us were brought up in homes, two parents, and one of them was Grace, and one of them was Mr., it's usually a Mr., Mr. Ungrace, right? I mean, he was all about truth, especially the way he saw it, and they were different. And which one of those, honestly, do you think you like better, right? But if you grew up in a good home, you got a good dose of both. And here's what I think John said here that is so absolutely remarkable. John said this, He said, I spent years with Jesus. I spent time watching him navigate through this this maze of life, some very difficult circumstances. And he said, as I begin my gospel, the thing that I kind of want the preamble, I want this to kind of set forth everything that I'm about to write. This has to be in the back of your mind. Bring it to the front. This is what you got to know. As I begin my description of Jesus Christ, here's what I saw. He was absolutely full of grace, and he was absolutely full of truth. And if I'm being honest, I want it to be one or the other. I want Jesus to be one or the other. I want Jesus to be predictable. I want it to be very black or white. I mean, I like those verses that lean towards truth when I'm telling somebody else what to do. But I like those verses that lean towards grace when it applies to me, right? I mean, I think we're all kind of that way. But John said this. John said, I watched him, and the best way I can describe it to you, people who are going to read it a few weeks after I write it or thousands of years after I write it, is that I watched him, and he was absolutely full to the brim of grace and truth. And then he said this. This is so good. Look at verse 16. He said, and out of his fullness that fullness of grace and truth. He said, because he was that way, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Here's what that literally means. What that literally means is that we have all received grace upon top of grace upon top of grace upon top of grace. We've received grace to the point of overflowing. Then then John says, you got to get this. So he tries to clarify it for us. Look at verse 17. He says, okay, this way. He said, for the law. It's the Ten Commandments, the 600 other laws of Moses. He said, for the law was given, that word given's key, was given through Moses. And we know this, right? We've seen the movie. Moses comes down the mountain. He has the Ten Commandments, and he has the law for the people to follow. He has this list of thou shalt nots and thou shalt doest. And if thou breakest one of these laws, then thou must go to the temple and makest a sacrifice. You know, all these kind of things. Here's what you got to do. And then John said, So we've got the law. That came through Moses. And then I think he paused. 
because he was coming to Jesus. And if he could, if he'd have had a different font type, he'd have put it in all bold letters, all capital letters. And then he said this. He said, but grace and truth came. And that's subtle. The word came is subtle, but it's so good. He doesn't use the word given like he used for Moses. He says, grace and truth came. That word came means born. That word came means came to life. Grace and truth came through Jesus, through Jesus Christ. And notice, and it's an important, dis- it's important distinction, not the balance between grace and truth. Not the balance, but the full embodiment of grace and truth. And that is what made Jesus so confusing. That's what made the way he loved so messy and so unpredictable because everybody wants to lean to one way or lean to the other. And John said it's better than that. It was amazing because he was just all of it. And he brought all grace and all truth to bear on every person and every situation that he ever encountered. John was telling us he was so absolutely unpredictable. Just when we thought, oh, we know what he's going to do here. Just when we thought, we know what he should do here. He just had this way of bringing all grace and all truth to every person he met. He was grace and truth personified. Next, next time you read through the Gospels, and maybe you will in the next few weeks, next time you read through, try to read through it with that lens of seeing how Jesus brought grace and truth into every situation. There's so many examples. One day, you probably remember, remember the story, Jesus showed up at a well, and at this well was a Samaritan woman. She was there. And Jesus was all alone with this Samaritan woman, which was really absolutely scandalous. And he talks to her, and, and, and you're not supposed to do that. Jews don't talk to Samaritans, especially a woman. And she can't figure this out. She's not sure what's going on. And things are going really well. Jesus even asks her if she can, you know, get him a drink. And things are going absolutely fantastic. This unexpected experience, unexpected conversation, all kinds of grace being shown here. But then if you remember the story, out of nowhere, Jesus does this. They're having a great time. She can't believe this Jewish person is talking to her, and it's a man. She's not sure what to do with it, but it's unbelievable. It's fantastic. Then Jesus says, hey, do me a favor. Go back home and get your husband and bring him back here, and, and, and we'll talk. And she says, well, um, I, don't, I don't actually have a husband. And Jesus, who has been so full of grace so far, going past ethnic and racial kind of boundaries, he said, oh, yeah, I know. I know that. I know you don't have a husband. In fact, Jesus says, um, you've had one, two, three, four, five husbands, and, and, and you're living with a guy now, and you're not even married to him. And, and, and you read in that, and, and you hear that, and you want to interject in the story and say, Jesus, I don't think you should go there. Jesus, that, that, uh, that's, that's a little cold. I thought you were nice, gracious Jesus. Why do you even want to bring that up? And then just when Jesus has her entirely confused, he's, he's reached into this painful part of her past. None of his actions make sense at all. Then he throws her another curveball. As he reveals to this woman something, we don't find him revealing to anyone else in all the Gospels. After he said this, after she's confused, after he's brought her sin and her pain to the surface, he leans into her. He takes a step. 
and he looks her square in the eyes. And he said, guess what? I want to tell you something I haven't told anyone else. And I've chosen you, a Samaritan woman. Guess who I am? (laughs) You're looking at. You've been talking to the long-awaited Messiah. And I haven't shared that with anybody yet. But I've chosen you, a Samaritan woman, to do that. It's incredible. He tells her. And then he tells her, he goes further. He said, you know, you came here today looking for a drink of water. But I'm standing before you offering you something that will quench the thirst that's in your soul. You've been trying to quench it with all these different relationships, but I have a water to give you that will quench your thirst that you've never been able to quench before. And then this woman, do you remember what she does? Because she had encountered Jesus, who was absolutely full of grace, but he was absolutely full of truth at the same time, she went back. She went back to her hometown where she was a ridiculed woman. She was not thought very highly of. She went back, and she became one of the first missionaries or evangelists in the history of the church. A Samaritan woman with a long line of failed relationships, and don't miss this, who was still living in her sin, met Jesus, who was full of grace and was full of truth. And now, how... How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I've shared this with, story with you many before. One of my favorite people in Scripture to read about is Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector, and I love his story because everybody hated Matthew, right? I mean, everybody hated tax collectors. Today, we still hate tax collectors, right? I mean, and on top of that, Matthew was worse than a tax collector. He was a traitor to his own people. In fact, at that time, if you know the story, tax collectors were so bad, they had their own category. I mean, there was one group, murderers, thieves, they had their group, they were bad. But then, tax collectors were so bad, they couldn't even be lumped in with that group. Matthew was part of this own group all by himself. So one day, one day Jesus comes up, and Matthew is working at his tax collector's booth. He's on the job. He's, he's doing the thing that he was notorious for. And Jesus decides to walk up to him. It's a great scene. Jesus is there, and a few of his followers are there with him. And they watch Jesus walk up to Matthew, and they think, oh, this, this is going to be so good. Man, Jesus is just going to let him have it. This guy is a thief. He's a traitor to his own people. One of them says, guys, stand back. I think lightning is going to fall. He's going to call it down. He's going to zap this guy. We might want to stand back because if Jesus would just do that, can you imagine how that story would spread? Can you imagine how that would strike fear in every Jewish tax collector? Oh, this is going to be so good. Jesus is just going to let him have it. Right? That's, That's what they thought. Instead, do you remember what happened? Jesus walked up to Matthew on the job, and Jesus said, excuse me, Matthew? Matthew, is it? Um, Come on. Why don't you stop what you're doing and come follow me? To which Jesus' followers thought, "Um, you left out the lightning part, right? I mean, where's where's that? And then they thought, you know, Jesus, we don't want to tell you how to run things, but come on. If a tax collector 
joins our group, if a tax collector becomes one of us, then, I mean, the people are going to think that now, is this political? You're pro-tax collecting? Not sure what that's about. That's not going to be a, a popular stance, Jesus. Not sure you really want to do that. Are you sure you want to be associated with this group of people? To which Jesus said, hey, guys, it's about to get a whole lot worse because, Matthew, hey, let's have a party at your house. Bring all your friends. Guys, in about 6 o'clock, this, when this thing gets cranked up, Man, you think your reputation was sketchy before. It's going to be really bad when the party starts cranking at Matthew's house and we're there. I mean, Jesus, come on. Aren't you concerned about your reputation? Aren't you concerned about what others are, are going to think about you? To which Jesus looked at them and said, Guys, why do you think I'm here? The Son of Man has come to seek and save those who are lost. I'm, I'm not here to build a reputation. To which one of them said, ooh, that's, that's good stuff. We better write that down. We'll put that in the book later. That's, that's, that's really good stuff. Then, if you remember, when Jesus was crucified, right, he was hung between two thieves. We've always been taught that, hung between two thieves. They weren't thieves, actually. Romans didn't crucify thieves. They were worse than that. They were the worst of the worst kind of criminals. And as they were hanging there on their cross, each on their own cross, next to Jesus, one of them spoke up. And one of them said, we are getting absolutely what we deserve. And you would expect Jesus, who was full of grace, to say, no, you're a good person. Come on, you, you've got a good heart. This is probably your parents' fault why you're up here, right? That's not what Jesus said. Instead, Jesus is like, no argument here. Yeah, you, you, know, you deserve it. But then, do you remember how he finished? He said, but I'll tell you this, in just a little while, when you breathe your last breath and when I breathe my last breath, we're going to the same place. Today, you and me, we're going to be in paradise. And you want to say, time out. Hold on a minute, Jesus. Okay, hold on. Just a few chapters ago, this rich man came to you. He was very devout. He was very religious. And he came to you wanting eternal life. That's what he wanted. Do you remember what you told him, Jesus? You said, go back home, take the pictures off the wall, sell everything you have, give every last dime away to the poor, then come back and follow me. And then, Jesus, this, is, this is, seems, so in, seems so inconsistent. Then this guy, this guy up here, who, who, I mean, his background is so bad, it's so dark, he deserves what he's getting here. You know that. He's not devout. He's not religious. He kind of sneaks in here with like a second left on the clock. I mean, it's March Madness for him. I mean, really? I mean, you're going to let this guy in? Jesus, that's not fair. Jesus, that's, that's, that's confusing. That, that just seems inconsistent. I mean, Jesus, if they would have thought this, they thought, you know, we left everything to follow you. And this guy, this guy didn't have to leave anything. I mean, Jesus, he's stuck I mean, of course he's going to accept whatever you have to offer. Oh, I'm going to give away the rest of my life. What does he have, 20 minutes? Right? Jesus looks over at the criminal and says, Today, you, a sinner, will be with me, the Savior, in paradise. We're going to the same place. Then, maybe, finally, maybe the most famous story is the one about the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. You know her story, maybe. And it's a strange story for many reasons. I mean, where's the man? I mean, she obviously wasn't alone when she was doing this. But this woman is caught in the very act, 
and they bring her to Jesus, these religious leaders do, and they say, Jesus, she was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses says that we should stone her, which Jesus could have said, don't try to trick me. You know Roman law won't let you do that, but he didn't do that. Instead, Jesus said, okay, if we're playing by Moses' rules today, then yep, here's what we're going to do. We're going to stone her. And she had to be thinking, okay, I thought you were nice, kind, gracious Jesus. Can we bring that Jesus in? Jesus says, yep, guys, we're going to stone her, and here's how we're going to do it. He said, let's do this right. Everybody pick up a few stones, get ready, and we'll do it this way. We'll let the one who's never committed a sin, you go first. Just, just make sure when you throw it at her, you don't miss and, and hit me. But, you know, you haven't committed a sin, you go first. Jesus said, okay, no, nobody's going, how about this? How about the one who's never committed adultery, you go first. Okay, how about the one who's never looked at a woman lustfully, you go first. Come on, I mean, surely there's somebody here who's never committed this kind of a sin. Surely there's somebody here. I mean, you were so offended by what, she, by what she has done. Certainly, if you were so offended, certainly this bothered you so much that you want to bring out the law of Moses and Stoner. Certainly, this isn't going on in your life. Certainly, certainly you can be the one to throw the first stone. Come on, fire, fire away. Come on, let's go. And Jesus waited, and she waited. I think maybe with one eye open, kind of, kind of bracing herself. But then, one by one, all these self-righteous men begin to slowly walk away until it was just Jesus and this adulterous woman, because that's, that's what she was. Then Jesus looked at her and said this. In John 8, it says, Jesus straightened up, and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then watch this. He said, then neither do I condemn you. That's, that's grace. Go now and leave your life of sin. That's truth. Which one is it? I mean, I don't condemn you or you're a sinner. Jesus says, yes. I don't condemn you. Now go leave your life of sin. Jesus, I mean, did you really have to bring up the sin part? Did you really have to bring that? Yeah, I did. Well, then how can you say she's not condemned? Jesus said, because haven't you caught on? That's how I love. I am the full embodiment of grace and truth. Full grace, full truth. And listen, that is so difficult to emulate, isn't it? I mean, for some of us, it's so easy to be the truth person. I mean, I was brought up, maybe you were too, I was brought up in a truth church, okay? I, I went to seminary, and I know verses upon top of verses on top of verses. I can tell you what the original language meant. And it's easy to, to just kind of default to that and say, God's word says that is wrong, so that's a sin, and you're wrong. But again, if I'm just being honest, when it comes to me, I'm all about grace, I think a lot of us are, are the same way. I mean, let's be honest. I think we think this way. We all think that our sin is not as bad as your sin. I mean, come on. I make mistakes, but you sin. I need a little bit of grace. You need a good swift kick of judgment, right? I mean, which really just means when it comes to living as people who are full of grace and full of truth, we're conflicted. There's this tension so the question is, what does it look like in every situation? 
How do you apply it? How do you be a person who's full of grace and full of truth? And I wish I had the perfect answer to end this message and say, here's how you do it, but I don't. But I know this. If you're trying to live like Jesus and you're trying to love like Jesus and you find yourself frustrated at times because it's messy and it's confusing and it's complicated, then just maybe you're on the right track. Because if you want to know what Jesus meant when he said love one another, then you watch how Jesus loved. And you know how Jesus loved? He called sin, sin, and then he paid for it. And after he paid for it, he said, I don't condemn you. Jesus said the truth, the truth is that you're a sinner. But the grace is, I love you. And I don't condemn you. Now in light of that truth and grace, Jesus says, I want you to go out and love everyone in any situation, even if they're still sinning, even if they're at their booth doing their work, whatever it is, in every situation, I want you to love them with the same grace and same truth. But how do you do it? It's a great question. All I know is this. I know it's messy. I know it's complicated. And I know it's confusing. But the best place to start, if you want to know how to love like Jesus, is to watch how Jesus loved, absolutely full of grace and absolutely full of truth. Let me pray for you. Father, you're good to us. You're so much better than we deserve. That's grace. Father, you're good to us. You're kind to us. You correct us. You discipline us. You lead us. That's truth. God, help us. Help us to embrace and understand how you've applied that to us and help us to move forward seeing how you showed grace and truth to everyone you met And in situations, God, that are messy and it doesn't seem so clear-cut what we should do, give us the wisdom we need to be people of grace and truth. It is what a dying world needs. Help us love Jesus the way you loved. Give us grace when we mess up, because we will. Give us courage to try again, to be the people you've made us to be. Help us to share you Jesus, who was full of grace and full of truth, help us to be those people. Father, we pray all this to you in your son Jesus' name. Amen.